when I was about 19 years old, um, I was doing all kinds of odd jobs and a lot of yard work and things for people. That was uh, my summer job. And my brother was about 16 years old, and he was doing the same thing. And, and one project that we fell into was uh, the deacons of our church came to us and said, we want a rock wall right in front of the church. We want it about two and a half or three feet high, and we want it to stretch over here so that we don't have this hill anymore. We want to have two levels. And we said, okay. And they said, so we've, we've dug it out, and we've leveled it. We want you to build this rock wall. But listen, there are going to be kids that are going to be climbing all over this thing, and we don't want any kids knocking rocks loose, so it has to be good and solid. We said, all right. So Friday afternoon, uh, they had dumped a whole bunch of big rocks out there on the front uh, yard, and so my brother and I were taking those rocks, and we were putting them in place and turning them over and trying to find just the right rocks that would fit fit in just the right spaces so it'd have a flat top and they'd nestle together really well. We packed the dirt in and we were just going to town working on building this rock wall. We were teenagers. We had all kinds of energy. We, we just, we were going to get this thing done. So we worked Friday afternoon and Friday evening. Saturday morning we showed up early and we start just throwing rocks around and putting things in uh, together, getting it all packed in there. And as the day wore on, uh, we didn't stop for dinner because we really, we wanted to get this done. It, we were passionate about this. This thing was going to, to be here forever, and we, this was going to be our signature wall here in front of this church, and people were going to see this uh, for as long as we lived, that this wall was going to be there, and we wanted it ready for Sunday morning. And so we, we were working really hard, and the, the light started to fade in the day, and we started getting more and more irritable because we hadn't had dinner and because it had been a really long day, and because uh, we were getting tired and frustrated. And you know how sometimes when you're just really attacking something, you don't do your best work anymore? And so we had rocks that were falling off, and we were starting to get kind of snippy with each other. And my dad came pulling into the parking lot, came walking up, and said, uh, how's it going, boys? And we, we weren't unkind to him, because he's uh, our dad, but uh, we told him in no uncertain terms that we were not having as much fun anymore as we had been having earlier in the day. And he said, boys, um, I, I think we should call it a day. No, we're going to have this wall done. It needs to be done for tomorrow morning when everybody comes to church. And he said, I think we need to be done for today. You've got a lot of work done. We'll come back Monday finish the job, but I, I think we will be done for today. And I had a really hard time with that because I had a lot of passion and really wanted to get this thing done and get it done now. And my dad, as, as people with wisdom, ha have different perspective on life. And he came walking up and he was going, you know, I don't think we need to build a lifetime rock wall in one day. It might take a little bit longer than one day, and that's okay. And he had a gentleness and a wisdom that slowed things down a little bit. And you, you know, if you've done any other kinds of projects, that, that those ones that you just, are, you're going to get it done real quick, real quick. Anytime my wife says, you've got a project, how long is it going to take you? Oh, like 15 minutes. She goes, okay, so two or three hours? No, it's going to be like 15, it's a 15-minute 15 project. I know how to do this project, and I've got all the tools. 
And so I run out and I grab the tools and I'm going to show her how quick it is that I get this thing done real fast. Never goes that way. Because when you're going fast, it always takes longer. You cut it, you jam it into place, it doesn't fit. You go back, you cut it again, now it's too short. And if I just slowed down and done it right to begin with, it'd be done. Well, that, that's the same kind of thing as James is going to talk about in James chapter 1 this morning. He says this in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to listen, but, but slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That. That's not my natural inclination. I'm quick to speak. Let you know exactly what I'm thinking. That's my natural inclination. But, but wisdom says, and James has been talking about wisdom, wisdom says, let's slow things down a little bit. And let's be a little quicker to hear, quicker to listen, and slower to speak. You know the wise person in the room, right? They're the ones that wait to get asked what their opinion is. They don't volunteer it. I'm learning this, and here's what I'm finding. That as I am quick to speak, I show people my ignorance. But when I wait to speak and wait to be asked my opinion, sometimes my first opinion is not the thing that I stick with. So at first I hear about it, and my, my first thought is, oh, this is what it should be. And, but then I wait, and I don't say anything. And then the more I'm listening, the more I'm hearing, I go, oh, actually, this would be much better. Well, nobody except me knows about that first thought, because I didn't say anything. It wasn't until we got to the second opinion that somebody asked me, and then I said something, and they go, ooh, that's really wise. And I go, yeah, because I was slow to speak. Wisdom says, Let, let's not be, be quick to speak, but let's be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Slow to get angry, slow to react to stuff. And this is what my, my dad was, was uh had the wisdom to say, guys, we don't need to react to this. It doesn't have to get done today. It, we don't have to be in a hurry on this. Let's just slow down, and we'll get it done. But those people that you see as wise, they're, they're the ones that they're the steady, calm people. They're slow and deliberate about their words. They're slow and deliberate about their response. And you look at those mature Christians and the, those wise Christians and you go, I really want to have a friend like that. I really want to have a mentor like that. 
I really want to have that kind of a person with wisdom in my life. I would like to be like that. And that's what James is saying is, know this, my beloved brothers, those of you who are loved by God, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because, verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, there's a part of me that when I read that, I go, well, of course. My anger does not produce the righteousness of God. When I'm angry, rarely do I get angry and then the fruit of the Spirit come pouring out. Right? When I'm all riled up, the fruit of the Spirit are not just showing themselves in my life, the love and the joy and the patience and the gentleness and the self-control and the faithfulness. Did I say that one already? I know I'm missing a couple of them. Peace. There we go. Uh, so, but those, those things are not expressing themselves when I'm angry because I'm losing control of all of those things. And so I just express myself The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Then how come it is that so often we'll talk about having this righteous anger? Oh, I have a righteous anger. No, you don't. You have anger. And the anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God. It produces anger and division. God doesn't need us to be angry on his behalf. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I think that when we're talking about that, that anger that, that um, we want to often attribute good motives to why we're angry, right? We, we want to self-justify and go, well, I'm, I'm angry, but I have good reason to be angry. And then we'll, we'll even extrapolate that and say, I have a righteous anger because I'm not angry about it for me. I'm angry about it for them. I'm angry on their behalf. They don't need you to be angry on their behalf. I was watching a, a movie recently where a reporter was doing a backstory on a woman, an older woman who had been uh, injured and, and, and wronged by some people for a very long time. And he was doing the backstory on, on this and, and looking in her background and, and understanding her and her motivation. And the more he began to dig and explore this, um, the more he became unhappy on her behalf. He became angry and indignant on her behalf. And so the movie goes and it reaches this climax where he and this, this older woman are confronting this person who has been wronging her for many years. And he gets so riled up and angry. And he's going, how can you do this? And how can you still not care? And be unrepentant after all of these years. 
and he's just furious and laying into them. And the, the, the woman goes, stop. And she looked at the person who had wronged her for so many years and she said, I forgive you. And the reporter is now indignant. How can you do that? Just like that, after all these years, you just say, I forgive you, and that's it? And she looks at him and goes, don't think that this isn't hard for me. This is very hard for me to say those words. But who are you to decide what my response should be? And why are you angry? It happened to me. I think that very often we want to get riled up. There's something about in our flesh. We just want to be angry. We see it all around us. There's anger everywhere. They are quick to be angry. I'm quick to be angry about anything that happens to me. I'm quick to be angry about anything that happens to you. People are just quick to be angry. They're not, they're not being uh, quick to hear and slow to speak. And, and we see it in, both in person, the way that people interact with each other, and we see it online. In fact, uh, one of the pastors at the preaching meeting this week said, you know what, I think this is really today. We need to be quick to hear and slow to tweet. Because something happens and we just get riled up and angry and indignant. And we want to say it's a righteous anger, but, but uh, anger does not produce the righteousness of God. That's not to say that there's never, ever any time that you shouldn't be angry. But they should be few and far between and you should be really slow to get there. Because verse 21, we're putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. It's everywhere. And instead, receive with meekness, with gentleness and humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Jeremiah 31 says this, in, starting in verse 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We, we've been given the word of God on, on our hearts so that deep down we know that this is what we ought to be doing. We ought to uh, respond to that and put away all of, this, uh, uh, all of the filthiness and all of the wickedness and those words that God has put on our hearts, we should respond to that and receive it because it's able to save our souls. Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That word that's been given to us, that, that we've received, that God has put in our hearts, he's also put in our hands. 
to make it more clear so that we might understand it. And when we get those words, we shouldn't just hear them, but do them. In Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says, For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Every person has this inclination that deep down they know, deep down they know there is a God in heaven and they ought to respond to him appropriately and give him worship. Deep down they know how they ought to respond to other people and interact with them. They should be loving toward other people. Deep down they have those things. Now we have this word that God has given to us his instructions in the scriptures, so that we may know and understand exactly who he is, and so that we might respond appropriately. He says, be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word deceiving yourselves. We, we ought to not just hear it and go, oh yeah, that sounds nice, but we should do something with it. It, it reminds me of, of somebody who's in a cell, right, a prison cell. And that you open the door and you go, hey, the door's open, you can leave now. And the person in the cell goes, oh, thank you, that sounds great. So are you going to leave now? No, thank you, but I appreciate knowing that the door's open. But the world is really great out there, don't you want to leave this cell? No, not really. You see, I'm comfortable here. This is really who I am. It's, it's, it's kind of what I've been for a long time. I'm very comfortable in this place. But the door's open and you can leave. Do you know all the stuff that's out there? Yes, would you tell me about all the stuff that's out there? Well, there's this really good food and there's lots of activities and you can go wherever you want and do all of these things. And oh, that sounds lovely. I feel blessed just knowing that that's an option and it's out there. It's very comforting to me to hear about those things and this food that you talk about, but I'm very familiar with this prison food, and I'm just comfortable, comfortable with that right now. And, and this is my safe space. This is, this is the space that I'm really comfortable in and familiar with, and so I'm, I think I will just stay here. And you look at them and go, your safe space is in a prison cell? What are you doing? The door is open. Go! Be doers of the word and not hearers only, which would be deceiving yourself. That, that you would be reading the word of God or hearing the word of God and then do nothing about that. But just feel better having heard it. It's not going to change anything. I'm not going to do anything differently. I, but I did hear about it, and that feels good. 
I, I think one of the worst things I could imagine is for somebody to come here week after week for years for the rest of their life and to hear me preach God's word and to walk away every week going, wow, that was a really good sermon. I feel really encouraged about that. I feel happy to have heard God's word today and to have it not impact or change their lives at all. That'd be awful. They would be deceiving themselves, thinking, oh yes, it was this thing that I knew and received, and then it didn't do anything. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he's like. You you walk up to the mirror and you take a look and you go, Oh, I really need to wipe my nose. I should not leave that thing hanging like that. And then you walk around and people look at you and go, you really need to wipe your nose. Oh, yeah. I I saw that in the mirror this morning. But I didn't. Are you going to wipe it now? No. I don't feel like it. I'll just leave it there. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As we stare intently, as we look intently into God's word and expect to do something with it, we will be blessed. Look at this, this this, uh, looking into the perfect law, the law of liberty, this law of freedom. And when we talk about liberty or freedom, very often what we're thinking about is being able to do whatever we want. But that's not what we're talking about here with this law of freedom. This is a freedom from having to do the things that our flesh desires that we do. We're free from that. We had been confined in these prison cells where we were uh, given over to the sins of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and we would just do those things. And we've had the door open so that we no longer have to give in to those temptations. We have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit at work within us, and we no longer have to give in to those sins. We now get to do something different. And so when we spend time reading God's word, digesting his word, soaking in his word, meditating on it, memorizing it, then we can persevere and not be a a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts and is blessed in their doing. How often have I opened up the Bible and read something, and then later in the day, you might come to me and say, hey, uh, what did you read today? Oh, well, let's see, in my devotions right now, I'm in the book of Isaiah. Okay, what was that about this morning? 
prophecy, I think. I mean, Isaiah was a major prophet, so it was probably about prophecy. I, I don't really remember. I just, it was this thing I read this morning. How often do I spend time in God's word and that's my expectation that somehow just by having read his word, that was sufficient without having any expectation that it was going to impact me and that I would do something about it because of what I read. This is why it's helpful to me when I spend time memorizing God's word. Last, last year, when we were preaching through 1 Peter, I spent a lot of time working on memorizing large chunks of 1 Peter. And it was impacting the way that I interacted with people. It was impacting the way that I thought about my interactions with uh, people in both the church and in the community. It was impacting the way that I prayed because I was spending time uh, thinking about what does this mean and how does this work? And what does this mean for me? And when we have that expectation that God's word is speaking to us and we are going to do something with it, it transforms us and we are blessed in that. Not only that, but it enables us to persevere when all of the things get difficult. So when we're met with those trials of various kind, we can meet them with joy rather than reacting to them and speaking too quickly or responding in anger or frustration. Because we are the ones who are not just... Uh, hearing and forgetting, but one who does and acts. I was thinking about how this is like uh, people who are paying attention to sports or playing some kind of game. The, the people who know all about the sports, we call them uh, armchair quarterbacks. Armchair quarterbacks. They know all the rules. They know all the strategy. They're watching the game, and they're going, What is he doing? Why did the coach do that? What a moron. What, why did he hand it off right there? He should have thrown it. Why did he throw it right there? He should have handed it off. Why did they run that play? Why didn't the quarterback see him over there? But how much different is that than the person who's actually playing the game? And they're studying the strategy and they're studying the rules and they're learning all of these things so that when they get in that situation, they know what to do. They know this is the right thing. This is the response that most of the time this is going to work out best. That's the difference between the person who's just reading for the sake of the knowledge and the person who's reading for the sake of this is going to impact what I do and how I do it. And we want to be the kinds of people that are reading God's word to be impacted in what we do and how we do it. Here's one example. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. How's your tongue doing? What are you doing with your tongue? What are you saying? How are you saying it? When are you saying it? The person who is wise is slow to speak. They're careful about the way that they speak. They're deliberate 
about the way that they speak, about the way that they use their tongue. Because they know that the tongue is a powerful weapon. It needs to be bridled like a horse and controlled so that it does what you want it to do. And when you use that horse to do what you want it to do, it's, a, it's powerful for good. But if it's unrestrained, it can cause all kinds of damage. And when I think in my own life about the times that I regret the most, almost all of them are things that I have said to people. When I look back and I go, I wish I could do that differently, almost every time it is something that I said. Tongue is dangerous. We want to be really careful how we use it. Very careful in how we speak. Because once those words come out, we can ask for forgiveness, but we can't pull the words back. Which is why when we're quick to speak, we get into trouble. And when we're quick to anger, we get into trouble too. If you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your heart. Isn't that interesting? Well, I think I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, how are your words doing? Oh, actually, I'm not doing as well as I thought. I guess I'm more divisive than I thought. I guess I'm not as kind as I thought. I guess I'm not as generous as I thought. I guess I'm more angry than I thought. I guess I have more filthiness within me than I thought. Because the tongue demonstrates all of that stuff that our deceived heart wants to deny. And this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. A pure and undefiled religion is before God the Father is this, to go and to visit those who are orphans and widows in their affliction. He uses this example of, of how we should uh, care for or, or be with, spend time with those who are in need. Those who are, in, in this case, orphans and widows. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. As we were in our preaching meeting this week talking about this, Pastor John Roberts from New Life Gladstone said, you know, it seems to me that uh, people want to do one or the other of these things. They either want to visit orphans and widows, or they want to remain unstained from the world. But, but you often don't have both. They want to do the one or the other. That is, they want to be engaged in the world and around those who are in need, but then they don't bother to uh, remain unstained. Or they want to remain unstained and they don't engage. I mean, my, my mom, when, she was, when I was a, a kid, she'd go, okay, you can go outside and play, but don't get any stains on your pants. And what she meant was, don't play in the grass. Because she knew, if I go out and I play in the grass, I'm going to come home with stains on my pants. Don't get any stains on your pants. Don't go play in the grass. It's all wet. Don't play out there right now. 
Well, that's how I think about things, right? If I don't want to be stained by the world, I better not go in the world. I better stay over here. That way I don't get any of that icky stuff on me. I'm not getting any of those stains on me. But he's saying, but don't distance yourself. Visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Notice it says, visit them in their affliction. It doesn't say, take away their affliction. It doesn't say, become indignant about their affliction. Become angry on behalf of their affliction. That's my temptation. Hey, it's not okay that they're not being treated well. It's not okay that they're being oppressed. It's not okay that they are in need like this. And we want to, with our tongues or with our tweets or whatever, let everybody know that this kind of injustice is not okay. And he's not saying to do that. What's he saying? Visit them in their affliction. Like the woman that that was going, what are you angry about? It happened to me. I don't need you to be angry. I need you to be with me. I need you to love me. While I'm being afflicted, I don't need you to take the affliction away. I don't need you to be mad about it. I want you to be with me. This is what we're called to do. We're called to just be with them. Just be with them. And while we're engaged in the world, not get stained. We're supposed to do both. He's saying, no, don't stay out of the grass. Go play in the grass. Just don't get any stains. How am I going to do that? How can I do that? By looking into God's word. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, will persevere. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, and he will be blessed in his doing. The only way that we'll be able to be engaged in the world and not stained by the world is if we are also engaged with God in his word. And when we are engaged with God in his word, we will be engaged with the world, or otherwise we're deceiving ourselves. We're just puffing ourselves up with knowledge and going, oh yes, that's beautiful. That's so comforting. I'm so grateful to have heard those things, but it's not impacting what we're doing. We have to be engaged in both places. Otherwise, we are deceiving ourselves or we're getting stained. And James's call is this. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry and be engaged with God and engaged with other people. This is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus became a man. He put on flesh and walked among us in our affliction and yet was without sin and unstained so that we who were orphaned could be reconciled with God, adopted and become co-heirs with Jesus and having a heavenly father. And now he is giving us the opportunity to participate in that mission that we might delight in the father through his word 
and then love those who are in need. All the while, putting all the filthiness and sin aside. Let's praise him for that. Father in heaven, we know that it is difficult, impossible even, for us under our own strength to be engaged in the world in any significant way without becoming stained. And so, Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be at work within us, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we spend time in your word. And we pray that you would help us to love those who are afflicted in their affliction. Father, would you help us to use our tongues well, to be slow to speak, slow to become angry, because you yourself are slow to become angry, and you yourself are judge. And so, Father, we trust you in that, and we praise you for it, and we rejoice in it, In Jesus' name, amen.